We're going to open our, our time of remembrance this morning uh, singing a couple of hymns. Uh, the first one is, everyone will know the tune, I love the tune, I mean the words are a bit dated but the sentiments behind the words are lovely. I, if I was writing this hymn I'd do verse 2 and verse 1 flipped actually. A focus on our Lord Jesus Christ and then what we can draw from that. So we, we will sing, Lord, impart to us thy wisdom, zeal and strength and courage too. And they're all to do with action. They're all to do with action, aren't they? Wisdom is no good if you don't do anything with it. Zeal and strength and courage, they're no good if all we're here for is, you know, just to have some head knowledge. You need all those attributes if you're doing something. And in part, what we come to uh, share, I guess, this morning is uh, a desire to be encouraged and inspired and uh, a desire to be sent out to, to change the world in which we occupy. And then we will go into, so Lord, give me an undivided heart. An undivided heart. Do you know, a heart that is solely focused on the things of God. The song talks about uh, seeing things in the way that God sees things. Often we implicitly adopt the world's standards and the world's way of, of doing things and it can sometimes cause us some conflict in our Christian walk. Uh, after that, if you stay standing, then we'll continue in prayer. So Lord, as we gather here now with those words in our hearts and on our lips. We pray that, at least for this time, we will have an undivided heart, that we will focus on on you, on your ways. We pray, Lord, that as we share time, fellowship with you and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and with each other, that you will... Help us with our burdens, Lord, that you will inspire us and encourage us and uplift us. Whatever our challenges are, Lord, we pray that you will be with us, that you will bring us peace and contentment. We thank you for this time which we can spend together. We thank you for the many ways in which you shower blessings upon us. We offer you now our praise and our worship on this prayer through Jesus. Amen. John will be uh, leading our thoughts uh, in a little while. Uh, but before that, we're going to have uh, two uh, sections of chapters uh, read to us. Uh, the f- we're going to take from the book of Job, chapter 42 verses 7 to the end, and Sylvia will uh, lead us with that. And then Matthew chapter 18 from verse 15 to the end. Good morning. Job chapter 42 from verse 7. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job 
and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a 1,000 yoke of oxen, and a 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Kezia, and the third Keren Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived a hundred and forty years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so he died, old and full of years. Liz will come and lead us in the Matthew reading, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name... There I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement... A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. Servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Then the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. 
His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jails to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Uh, For John to come and lead our thoughts and because he's crocked, he's going to exhort us sat down. So we're going to have a little bit of a jiggery pokery to make him comfortable and audible so bear with us i need to apologize really to for all of this it's all very dramatic and so on and i'm trying to look at perlene and the wires get in the way and all sorts of things so so it's going to be a bit like that but i'm sorry about that the other thing i need to apologize now before i meet any of you afterwards is that um If you start talking to me, there's the possibility I'll turn my head one way or the other. And I'm doing that because this ear is almost deaf completely, you see. So if I want to hear you, I'm I'm listening from this ear. If you're on the wrong side and I start doing this, you know, you'll understand why I'm doing it. I was just sorry about that. (laughs) But, But that's life, isn't it? But saying sorry is actually a very important thing. And it's that that I want to talk to you about, saying sorry. Saying sorry is not easy. At least it isn't for everybody. Some people seem to say an awful lot. Sorry, sorry, sorry about this. Sorry about that. And And it's almost not genuine. And I don't know if you're that kind of person, but be aware. Make your sorry genuine. Make it really what you mean. Ruth says to me, Ruth and I often say sorry to each other, or we argue really, and I say sorry to her. (laughs) And she says, "Um, yeah, you said sorry about that last time. You know, saying sorry means you won't do it again. Well, now listen, saying sorry doesn't mean you won't do it again. Saying sorry is that you are sorry that you've done it. Okay? But it's, it's difficult, and some people, as I say, say it very easily. It flows off the tongue very easily. It's not a big problem. For other people, it's, it is a problem. And for me, it is. <clears throat> but then maybe it's who I'm saying sorry to. If I'm saying sorry to Ruth, you see, because there's this, this vying for something all the time, saying sorry becomes more difficult sometimes. And saying sorry to a complete stranger is not quite so difficult. But saying sorry is important, ever so important. (coughs) Saying sorry sort of does things to you. It it makes you, I'd like to think anyway, humbler. Uh, It makes you feel a bit more vulnerable, possibly. You know, 
I've done something wrong and I'm admitting this now. Sorry, sorry about that. Not just sorry about that, but I really am sorry. But I think we all of us need to understand that and need to sort of take hold of that idea and and with conviction and with genuineness to say to each other when we are clearly in the wrong, sorry. It's not easy to do. My guess is that all of us need to do it and certainly um, husbands and wives need to do it an awful lot. And I think my guess is that if I knew your lives, you know, at home, when you were just with your husband or wife, there'd be all sorts of things that would go on, as that does in my marriage, which are not easy. And and you eventually you come to the point where you sort of feel, I need to say sorry. I need to say sorry. I'll tell you why. Because I want to be back in that relationship with Ruth that I had before. And I think you should be feeling that, you know, not just I'm sorry I've done it, but I want to be back there in that relationship. I want the goodness, the, the genuineness, the warmth, the, the strength of that relationship. And that won't happen if you don't admit the fact sometimes that you are wrong. And you need to say Sorry. And come to each other in love. Did you? How many of you watched the um, the royal wedding? Many of you. I did. Um, I'm not saying I did because you know I feel good about that. I I, <laughs> I wasn't really wanting to to see much of it, but I'm glad I did actually. That American preacher, he was good, wasn't he? He 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 did some lovely things. Said some lovely things about love. And I, I was looking around at the congregation, perhaps about sort of Harry's parents and family and stuff and wondering what they were thinking about. But he was talking about love, real love, and getting hold of it. He said something about uh, Martin Luther King uh, and taking hold of this positive love. love. And, and I think that's really very powerful stuff and we've got to get hold of it. I was listening to those readings. I hope you were too. <clears throat> You know, the one in Job, um, when the Lord says to Job that he wants him to go to, to his friends and uh, um, pray for them. And Job does that. Now, at the end, it says <clears throat> in verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of, of David's life more than the beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels and so on. But that wasn't the reason, was it? That wasn't what it was all about. That wasn't the reason for his saying, for his praying for people. The reason was he wanted to be close to them. Close to them. His opponents and so on. And that's something we've got to really think about. It's not just saying sorry to God or talking to God about something. It's about each other. And I believe that that's what God is working with us about. He's transforming us. And doing those sorts of things is the thing that transforms us. It changes us. Changes us into different people. With each other. And with the Lord. Um.
Peter says, you know, <clears throat> how often should I forgive a man? Um, seven times? And Jesus says, no, uh, seven times 70 or something like that. Now, I know I talk about Ruth and me because that's the relationship I have. That's the, the, the experience I have. But, but we'll do something wrong, you know, and we say sorry. And then we do something again and, and say sorry. And, and you did that before. You, you keep doing it. Why don't you stop doing it, you know? And that's what Peter's saying, isn't he? Saying, these people, they, they do things to me or against me and I forgive them. Should I go on forgiving? And she said, yes. Yes, you should. You go on and on and on forgiving. And I'm sure there are people in our church that perhaps you have problems with or you don't feel completely comfortable with and saying sorry is important and forgiving is important and we've got to let that forgiveness run on and on and on. I don't mean by that that we just accept everything. I don't mean by that that we don't try and change people or talk to people about what's going on. Of course we do. We've got to do that. But we've got to forgive. And forgiveness is very difficult. Oh, we talk about it, I know. And in some respects, we see it's been fairly easy when we're talking about people that we know or love or whatever, saying, yes, I forgive you and so on. But when it's somebody who niggles us, gets under our skin, you know, um, somebody in church maybe that gets under our skin, you know, and we have to forgive them again and again and again and so on. It's not easy, but that's what the Lord is asking of us. Not because of the people we're forgiving, but because of us. It's the transforming process in us. It's changing us to become more like God who forgives us time and time and time again. It's, it's our responsibility to forgive. Our responsibility. I'm emphasizing that because the word, I think, says an awful lot. You know, it's not just something oh, we have to do or will do about something. It's a responsibility. Responsibilities are serious. But it's also our privilege. Have you thought about that? It's our privilege to forgive somebody who's hurt us. It's our privilege to do that because we are doing the things that God does and wants us to do. And more than that, I think it actually brings joy. Maybe not instantly, but I'm convinced that it does bring joy, that if we forgive each other, we can come together and enjoy each other in a very different way to the way before we forgave. You know when there's something that's between you, it may not be a big thing. It may be a very little thing. It's just there. And, and <clears throat> forgiving is easy. It rolls off the tongue, but it doesn't do anything much. Forgiveness has got to change us somehow. 
and make us better people. Because sin and forgiveness change things. It changes people. Sin changes people. Things that happen between you and somebody else, they change you. Usually for the worse. They, they affect you. They change you. And forgiving isn't about getting rid of that change. Forgiving isn't about, oh, everything's going to be fine now. It's not. The situation is different. Like it or not, it is different. But that's the challenge. You've still got to forgive and love, even though the situation is different. Um, <clears throat> Jesus had this problem, didn't he, with, with the Pharisees? You remember when he heals the, um, what is he? He's the, the paralytic. Sorry, my, my memory is going as well as everything else. Um, <clears throat> the, the paralytic, you know, and, and Jesus greets the paralytic who's come down through. He says, your sins are forgiven. I wonder what the paralytic thought about that. Your sins are forgiven. Hang on a minute. I didn't come here for sins to be forgiven. I came here to be changed, to be healed. Your sins are forgiven. And of course, that affected not only him, but the the people around, the people in the crowd, the Pharisees and so on. And they say, who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And I sometimes feel that we want to get out of situations by that sort of uh, statement. Um, Come with me to John. John chapter 20. Jesus says some interesting things here. I know he's he's appealing to and talking to disciples, but I think that this affects us as well. <clears throat> and he says in he starts in verse uh, well verse nineteen. <clears throat> On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked uh, where the disciples where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw Jesus. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now I think we've got to learn from that. As the Father sent Jesus, he is sending us. And as he sends us, we've got to be like him with others. And he goes on, verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone It is withheld. That's actually quite frightening, isn't it? I mean, he's talking to the disciples, and I know the disciples are going into a very special situation, and they're leading the church and stuff, but 
is he saying this to us? Does the spirit work work in us? I'm convinced it does. I mean, I I don't speak in tongues. I don't heal or whatever. But I do things in a normal course of events, which is the Lord working, I think, with me. And I think confessing sins and saying to people, you're forgiven, is something that God wants us to do. To people who sin, who have enormous problems with accepting that they sin and God can still love them and forgive them. I think we then have a responsibility to say to those people, look, if we've prayed about it, he's forgiven you. Um, <clears throat> if you come with me to the second book of the second cha- um, letter of Paul to the Corinthians and uh, chapter 2. <clears throat> he says this, Verse 4. For I wrote to you out of much affliction, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians, and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. That is quite amazing, isn't it? Do we ever express those sorts of feelings to people? We should. Tell people if you love them. It's important. goes on. <clears throat> now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in, a, in a, some measure, <clears throat> sorry, not to me in some measure, but not to put too severe, sorry, I'm reading this all, all wrong. Let me start again. Sorry. <clears throat> um, now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn and forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed. Now, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about an issue, I think, and I think a lot of other people do, that he talked about in the first letter. Let's, let's have a look in the first letter and see what the issue is. It's <clears throat> chapter 5 of the first letter, and he says this. <clears throat> Just the first couple of verses, he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Sexual problems are difficult, aren't they? They're difficult for us to talk about. They're difficult for us to to challenge each other about. I remember I, and I don't say this because I'm particularly good, I don't usually do this, but I had to challenge somebody who's, very close to me, not Ruth, <laughs> but somebody who's very close to me uh, <clears throat> about a, a problem. And I found it incredibly difficult. And it took a long, long time to work up the courage to do it. But when I did it, the situation suddenly changed. It's ever so difficult to talk about sexual problems 
I mean, we don't have this kind of problem. I hope we don't. But if we do, then we should talk about it. But I think this is what Paul is referring to in that other chapter. And he's saying, look, um, all your uh, pressure on this brother is enough, he says. It's enough. Now stop and forgive him and build him up. What we as a community are are known for doing, and I think it's terrible, really, of condemning people and throwing them out willy-nilly. We must not do that. There might be issues where we condemn people and we have to ask them to go, but we've got to do all that we can to try and bring them back, to get them to say sorry and start growing again. In Matthew 5, Paul says this, <coughs> sorry, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. If I find it. <coughs> but I say to you, love your enemies. And it aren't usually, are they people who come around and start beating us up or... or trashing our front lawn or whatever, that might be the case, but it's usually just little things or just an attitude of mind or just the way they feel or the way we feel about them often. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I wonder if you do that, do you? You have a problem at home with your neighbour perhaps or, or at work with somebody else and, and it's a real problem or at school and, and, and somebody keeps cheating or something and you, you get very angry about it and so on. Jesus says, don't just forgive. He says, pray for them. Pray for them. Speak to them by name and say to God, look, this Mr. Watsits or whatever, he, he's doing this and he shouldn't. And please guide him and bring him out of that so that he can see a better life, a better way of living. A man came to me, I've told you this once before, well, several times before, I think. A man came to me and he wanted to be baptised. But he was homosexual. I don't know what you feel about homosexuals, but I feel it's wrong. And he said to me he wanted to be baptised, and inwardly I threw up my hands in horror and said, no, actually said to him, not just now, or you're not ready for it, or something like that. He came to me about a year later, still the same man, still homosexual, and he said, I want to be baptised, and I said, yes. We'll do that. What else do we do? Do we just kick those people out and say, no, you're not welcome in here? What does Jesus do with people like lepers and, and, and tax collectors and so on? Does he just turn his back on them? Of course he doesn't. He brings them close and he brings them close to his father. And that's important. Come with me to Isaiah. <clears throat> There's a, a little verse here which 
Sylvia raised my interest in um, is Isaiah 44. And it's just a couple of bits. Um, Verse, let's see. 44, verse 20, 24. And he says, thus says the Lord, this is the prophet speaking, obviously, and he's saying, these are the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. And he's saying, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools um, of diviners and so on. And then in verse 26 he says, who confirms the words of his servants. You're, You're his servants, aren't you? The Lord who confirms the words of his servants. Would you like God to confirm your words and fulfills the counsel of his messengers he goes on to talk about Jerusalem and clearly that's what things about as much as anything but he says he confirms the words of his servants he listens he listens to people he listens to you When you want to say something about somebody and it's powerful, he listens. And I am absolutely certain that he is moved and works. And then in John 20, let me just read those words again. Um, I'm in Matthew. In verse 23 he says, If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. Isn't that incredible? You are giving them freedom from sins. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, they are withheld. I don't know which side you want to be on. I know what side I want to be on. Thank you, John.